welcome to River Fellowship Podcast. At River Fellowship, we strive to experience God, exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage the world. This week, lead pastor Daryl Anderson takes us through Galatians 5, verses 1 through 6. Christ has liberated us from enslavement. To walk in the freedom Christ has provided, we must understand what we are free from and what we are not free from. If you'd like to learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, go to rfamarillo.org. Well, let me invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 5. Last week, we started a new series entitled In Step, and it's based on uh, Galatians 5.25 about keeping in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5.25 says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Last week, we defined keeping in the Spirit as moving in sync with the Spirit under the control and the power of the Spirit. We also defined it as being connected to and dependent upon the Holy Spirit. So today we're starting uh, where each week we'll deal with some some practical application as to how we do that. And this morning, the topic is step freely. How can we step freely and actually walk in freedom as the Spirit enables us to? So let's look in Galatians chapter 5. We'll start in verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ, and you have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Verse 13, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. The key passage this morning is verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now, this is a very simple but profound statement. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. Both of those words mean liberated or no longer enslaved. So the idea is that Christ has liberated us so that we are no longer enslaved. We can walk in freedom. We can experience that freedom through Christ and because of Christ. Two concepts as we move forward. Two concepts as we move forward. Sorry, I think I'm ringing some stuff here. My apologies to you. Two concepts for us to remember as we walk through this. One, Christ has set us free. In other words, when Christ died on the cross, his resurrection, we invited him into our life and said yes to him. At that point, Christ set us free. But secondly, it's the spirit of God in us that empowers us and enables us to walk in the freedom for which Christ has set us free. In other words, it's possible to be set free, but not to be walking in that freedom. So we want to not only be set free in Christ, we want to walk in that freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So let's talk about keeping in spirit. Specifically, how can we step freely? How can we walk in freedom? I want to deal with two questions this morning. And the first is, what are we not free from? 
We're talking about freedom, but that's just not a blanket, do whatever you want to do. There's some restrictions even in freedom for it to be true freedom. So what are we not free from? We get this from, uh, from verse 13. It says, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Last week, we talked a little bit about the choice that we have and that we should not keep in step with the flesh. And the reason we don't want to indulge our flesh is because we reap what we sow. And so if we make the decision to sow the flesh in that sinful nature and go down that road, eventually, at some point, that's going to lead to destruction. So we don't want to sow the flesh. But inherent in that verse are two aspects that we are not free from that we need to look at. And the first is God's moral law. We are not free from God's moral law. So what is God's moral law? Well, it's not ceremonial law. The Jews adhered to ceremonial law, which include, included sacrifices, um, special days that they would observe, cleansing rituals, things like that. It's not speaking about that. God's moral law is really the essence of morality. It's the essence of who God is as he establishes this code of morality, this right and wrong. When it comes to morality, we really have four choices. One choice is what I'll call noistic morality. In other words, no morality. That's a person that has absolutely no code of moral, right and wrong at all. They're amoral. That's a scary, that's a scary person. A second option is an egoistic morality. That's where I as an individual determine my morality. I have my own court of, uh, code of morals, my own right and wrong. It's not based on any external forces. That's also a scary scenario. The third option is what I'll call humanistic morality. And that's where a society or a culture or a people dictate and they determine what the code of morality is going to be, what right and wrong is going to be. But then the fourth option is theistic morality, which is what we're talking about here. That's where God determines the code of morality and right and wrong. Now, with humanistic and egoistic morality, it's fluid. It's always changing. It's always adapting. Whatever the majority, whatever that person wants right and wrong to be, that's what it is. Whatever that specific culture wants it to be, that's what it is. So a culture over time can change. Different cultures at the same time can have different code of moralities. But God's theistic morality is a standard. It's set. It's an absolute right and wrong that never changes, that never alters. In America, there was a time when we were built on theistic morality. There was a time back in the day where there was an absolute right and wrong established by God and we adhered to that. In today's culture, though, we've shifted to a humanistic morality where we are trying to determine what morality is. But verse 13 that we're looking at, this espouses an absolute moral law. Because what it's talking about is indulging the sinful nature. If there's no real code of morality, there's no real sinful nature. Everybody's kind of making up their game. So it's inferring here not to sow the flesh. Why? Because it's destructive and it goes against morals, uh, God's moral law. But tied to that is the second thing we're not free from. And that's God's biblical mandates. And they're linked together. 
God's moral law and biblical mandates are linked together and we're not free from either one of those. Now, this opens a whole nother can of worms. And that is, is scripture, is it really God's word? Is it really that inerrant, infallible, authoritative word? As 2 Timothy 3.16 says, it's God-breathed, it's God-inspired. Is it that, or is it just a collection of writings, a collection of letters? Uh, is it just some really good thoughts and some good sayings and some good stories and, and a book that kind of throws out some, some, some good things of, of way to live? Which one is it? We don't have time to deal with that. We're not gonna deal with that at all this morning. But verse 13 is basing its statement on the fact that there are biblical mandates. In other words, God's moral law is established in the biblical mandate and we're not free from either one of those. So I have a choice. I can either say God's word is not authoritative, it's just writings, I don't have to adhere to it. Thus, God really has no moral code of right and wrong and so I'll just do what I wanna do or I make the decision, no, God does have an absolute right and wrong. It's expressed to his authoritative word. And because of that, I'm going to adhere to that and follow in it. What we're talking about is keeping in step with the spirit. The only way we can truly keep in step with the spirit is to buy this second option that says, I believe in God's infallible authoritative word for my life that he's established this absolute sense of right and wrong. And because of that, I want to pattern my life around what God has ordained as good. So we're not free from his moral law or the biblical mandates. But what are we free from? If we're really have been set free, if the Spirit really will enable us to walk in that freedom, what are we set free from? Well, let me illustrate it. I've kind of uh, condensed this to three categories, all right? But I wanna illustrate it so it can get stuck in your head. The first thing we're not, oh, excuse me, the first thing we are free from is our baggage. We're free from our baggage. When I was in youth ministry, um, one particular year, we had a lot of students going to youth camp, and we went to a camp that was really large, and the, the cabins were just spread out all over the place. So I told the guys that they were going to have to be nice to the girls, and they had to carry all the girls' luggage to their dorm. Well, if you've ever been a part of youth camps, you kind of understand the dynamic that typically guys, they might bring a duffel bag. You know, middle school guys, maybe not even that much because most of them don't even change clothes throughout the week. So they're, you know, they're covered really lightly. But man, the girls, that's a whole different ball game. They were bringing three, four, five suitcases, luggage. None of them were small. They're all big. None of them were light. They were all heavy. And so all these guys, some of them are just, you know, middle school guys are carrying all these five. And they're just, I mean, they're just, it's getting heavy and they're getting heavy. I think most of them were mad at me for most of the week for making them do that. But that's similar to what's happened to many of us spiritually. When I talk about baggage this morning, I'm talking about the stuff in our past that we've just crammed into our subconscious somewhere and we're carrying that along with us every single day, every single week, and it just becomes heavier and heavier and heavier. Some people are carrying along past sins. They're not walking in the freedom. They're carrying along every day that shame and that guilt of past sins. Maybe for some of them it was 
sin they were committing before they gave their life to Christ. For some, it was after they've given their life to Christ. But all this stuff they've done in the past, they've just not been able to let go of. The reality is we do not have to walk with our baggage of sin. Psalm 103.12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. There's no beginning or end with east and west. It's, it's forever. He's thrown them away forever into eternity. Romans 8.1 says, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's been erased. The reality is we do not have to live with our baggage of our past sins. We can get rid of it. We can unload it. You just confess it and, and receive and accept the forgiveness that Christ gave us on the cross. Some are carrying the baggage of past offenses. Some people have offended them, they've mistreated them, they've abused them, and they're walking around with a lot of pain and hurt and suffering, but that pain and hurt has developed into anger and bitterness and resentment and malice and revenge, and they're going through life carrying all of this emotional baggage with them of all of this unforgiveness. How can we unload all of that unforgiveness? Well, we have to have the heart and the spirit of Jesus Christ when he's on the cross and he prays about those crucify him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Or to have the heart and the spirit of Stephen, that while he's being stoned to death, he prays about those stoning him saying, man, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Don't hold this sin against them. If you're carrying the baggage of unforgiveness today, it's not hurting their walk, it's hurting your walk. It's keeping you from walking in freedom, not them. You don't have to carry it. All you have to do is let God take that from you and lay it down at his feet. Some are carrying the baggage of past decisions, just past mistakes. Not talking about sin. You've just made some bad decisions, some bad choices, some things that you thought were right, but hindsight they were wrong and they, they, they messed up some stuff. And maybe it was detrimental to your family, maybe it was detrimental to your finances, uh, to your workplace, environment, whatever. They weren't sin, they were just decisions that have, have brought some, some suffering to you and they were detrimental and you can't get over it. <laughs> You're still feeling all the, the guilt and the pain of that. You don't have to carry that either. What do you do to get rid of it? Well, you do what Paul did. In Philippians 3, Paul says, this is very paraphrased, but Paul says, hey, I've not arrived. I've not obtained this yet. I'm not there. I'm not perfect, but here's what I'm doing. I'm forgetting what is in the past, and I'm straining toward the future. In other words, all this stuff back here, I'm letting it go and I'm gonna pursue what Christ has for me for the future. And that's the reality for us. We don't have to carry the baggage of any of that stuff. We don't have to carry the baggage of our past sins or our past offenses or our past bad decisions. In Christ, we have been set free from our past. But unfortunately, many people are still carrying all that baggage. Walking in freedom does not mean I don't have a past. It means I've been delivered from my past. And my past no longer haunts me and it no longer hinders me. My past no longer defines me and it no longer deters me. I've been released, I've been forgiven, and I've thrown it away to the Lord. We're free from the baggage of our past. Secondly, we're also free 
from our burdens. In the New Testament, that word burdens actually means weight. So it means carrying this weight. Have a little weight here. It's not a lot of weight. It's just 15 pound dumbbell. So it's, it's not much weight. But I did read an article from a psychologist this, uh, this week and the psychologist said it's interesting that even though weight never changes, it can become heavier the longer you carry it. So if I'm carrying this 15 pounds, I could carry it while I'm gonna speak to you here for a couple of minutes. No big deal. It's not gonna be very heavy. But what if I try to just keep carrying this all day? What if I carried it all week? What if I went the rest of the year carrying all this weight? How overwhelming is that gonna be? How much pressure and pain is that gonna be? How much what? It's just gonna get heavier and heavier and heavier. That's the illustration here of the weight. There are many people that have burdens, and we're talking here about the burdens of life. Life's issues, maybe family issues, parenting, taking care of parents, maybe it's taking care of kids, Maybe it's taking care of both if you're in that sandwich generation. Maybe it's health issues. Maybe it's financial issues. It's taking care of your home. It's, it's all the stuff that we have to do in life. As we try to take care of all those life issues, <laughs> I don't know about you, but there are times, man, it just is, becomes overwhelming to respond to that and to carry all of that weight and all of that burden. But you know what? We don't have to. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all of your burden, all of your weight, cast all of your anxiety, all of your worry, all of this suffering, cast all of this stuff on him for he cares for you. In other words, we were not designed to carry the weight of our burdens, but the spirit of God is. He's our comforter. He is our strength. And he's the one that if we will cast this on him and we lay it on him, he will carry the weight of life's issues. Listen, walking in freedom does not mean we don't have life's issues. We do. But it means someone else is going to bear the weight, is going to bear the weight of that and carry the weight of that. It's not us. It's the Spirit of God. So we can throw that onto him and let him carry the weight. So third, what are we free from? Third, I really like this illustration because it's so vivid. We are free from our bondage. We are free from bondage. Now, this is low budget theater, remember, so I couldn't do this well. But if I, if I tie my feet up like this, can, can you imagine <laughs> what it would be like to go to work and go to school and do everything you have to do, walking around like this, you know? There's no freedom. We walk in bondage. To me, this is such a beautiful picture of a horrible tragedy, which is walking around spiritually in bondage, in bondage to our sin. There are people that are struggling with strongholds. There are people struggling with addictions. Here we're talking about those issues, those sins that are, are habitual in our life that we just cannot seem to get power over. We can't seem to resist. We can't seem to shake. They just keep coming and keep coming. We think, man, this, I, can't, I can't do this. When we deal with this bondage, there's really two options of how we respond to this. One, it's what I call the defeatist 
view, the defeatist attitude. The, the mantra of this is, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Now, that's a true statement. That's an absolute true statement. We are sinners saved by grace. But some people use that as an opportunity or an excuse or a reason to say, I can't, I can't, rip, I can't, I can't defeat this. I can't beat this sin. This stuff, this stronghold, this addiction, this, this recurring sin, I can't beat it because I'm just a sinner. Now, I'm saved by grace, so I'm going to claim the grace of God, so I've got eternity, but I just realized there's some stuff in my life that I'm never going to be able to defeat. I'm never going to be able to overcome. I'm just going to have to live with it. I'm just going to have to accept it. I'm just going to have to go through life with that as a part of my life. Now, some people say that from a very pure heart. Some of them say it as more of an excuse <laughs> because they enjoy their sin. So they can say, hey, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, but they're saying that because I really enjoy the sin. Let me just ask you, how many of you enjoy sin? You're all lying. <laughs> I enjoy sin. If you don't enjoy sin, you're doing the wrong sin. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole thing about sin. None of us would do it if we didn't enjoy it. That's the temptation. Sin's a lot of fun for a short season, and then it'll bite you. But some want to use that excuse. That's the defeatist view. I just can't beat it. But there's another view, and that's the overcomer view. That's based on verse 13 that we're talking about. It says, do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. That is inferring that we can resist the sinful nature. We have the power to do that. Verse 16 says, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. In other words, we've been given the ability to overcome and not satisfy those fleshly desires. I can be set free from those temptations and those urges. I can walk in freedom. 2 Timothy 5.17 says, I'm a new creation. Romans 8.37 says, we are more than conquerors through Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, no temptation has overtaken me. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. All of this is saying we have an overcoming view of sin. And what that means is, I realize I'm not perfect. I'm gonna fall, I'm gonna sin, I'm gonna make mistakes. I've not arrived yet, just like what Paul said. I'm not perfect, but... I can resist sin. I can defeat this stronghold through the power of Christ and the power of the Spirit. I can overcome this addiction by the power of God. I can resist these sinful, fleshly uh, nature and drawings and urges because of the power of Christ. Our mantra should be, I may trip up, but I don't have to be tied up. We may all trip up. In fact, we will all trip up, but we don't have to go through life just tied up in the bondage of our sin. We've got power over it. So we've been set free from our baggage and our burdens and our bondage. Maybe some of you are carrying one of those this morning. Maybe some of you are carrying all three of those. I wanted to illustrate carrying all this at once. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. Couldn't figure out how to do it. And neither can you. You can't do it and walk in freedom. We have to claim verse one, this main passage. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Christ set us free for a reason. And that's to be free and to walk in the freedom. So 
I can live oppressed and depressed and fearful and anxious. I can live carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders. I can live and walk in darkness and despair and defeat, or I can walk in freedom. And I can claim the promise that Christ has set me free and that the Spirit lives in me so I can walk in that freedom. Hebrews 12, two says, let us throw off everything that hinders us and so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance. What a great word picture. I can be so free that I won't just walk in freedom, but man, I'm gonna run. That's how free he'll set us. One more word before we're done. Talking about bondage, this third thing we're, we're free from. There's another aspect, another application of this bondage. And it's specifically what Paul's talking about here in chapter five, and that's the bondage of religion. He has set us free from the bondage of religion. Paul's talking specifically here about circumcision, uncircumcision. That's not really the point as much as the point is religion and you trying to do something in your own self and in your own flesh versus what God is doing and initiating. In chapter one, we see where Paul was once part of that religious system. And he was very religious. He was devout. He was the zealot of all zealots coming uh, to observing the law, he was at the top of his class. He was the best of the best at doing that. But God changed his heart. God changed his thinking. He changed him from basing his life on the flesh. Now he's basing it on the spirit. Basing it on works, he shifted. And now it's based on the grace and what God has done for him. But in chapter two, Paul shares that there are some people that don't like that. They don't like that he's teaching that you can be set free and that you can walk in freedom. In chapter two, verse four, Paul says, false brothers infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ. (laughs) To me, that's 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 a wild word picture. Who doesn't wanna be free? Who doesn't wanna walk in freedom? Evidently, these false brothers didn't want to. What a tragedy to be so engulfed in tradition and tradition and religion and rules and legalism that you don't even desire freedom. You can't even understand freedom. What I'm talking about here by religion is just that. We're talking about legalism. We're talking about man's tradition. We're talking about rules and human efforting. We're talking about trying to appease God by our behavior. We're trying to earn favor with God by our works. We're talking about relying on ourselves and our flesh and our works instead of the spirit. We're talking about boasting in our goodness rather than in God's greatness. We're talking about striving to do what God's called us to do. All this stuff is religious. It's all about religion and it just doesn't work. And what he's saying is don't strive to be religious. It just doesn't work. And let me say from a personal note here at Three River Fellowship, this is not a place of religion. If you're looking for a religion, this isn't the place for you. I'm not interested in being religious, but I'm very interested in being free. I'm very interested in walking in the freedom that Christ has offered us through his death and through his spirit. And my prayer for River Fellowship is that it is a place of freedom. And if you're in bondage, if you're bound by anything, may this be a place that can help you experience freedom in Christ. 
So here's the reality. One, Christ has set us free by his death and resurrection. When you receive Christ, he sets you free. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, you've never said yes to his free gift of grace by his death on the cross, you are not set free. You are still in your bondage of sin. But you can be set free simply by inviting Christ to come into your life to forgive you and say, man, live in me. But secondly, we are enabled to walk in that freedom if we're willing to keep in step with the Spirit and allow Him to let us walk in freedom. May our prayer be verse 13. May we remember this week, verse 13. You were called to be free. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for freedom. And Father, we're not talking about freedom to do whatever we want to do. But Father, we're free to be who you've called us to be. We are free to experience what you have for us to experience. And so Father, we want to walk in that freedom. Father, I just pray for anyone here this morning. If they're carrying the baggage of their past, Father, would you remove it? Father, if they're carrying the burdens of life, would you take it from them? And Father, if they're walking in bondage, whether it's religion or sin, Father, would you set them free and loose the chains? Father, may your spirit do whatever you wanna do in us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about River Fellowship in Amarillo, Texas, or to hear more messages, go to rfamarillo.org. Thanks. Have a great week.